0: We're going to continue in our sermon series on Ephesians. If you haven't been with us, what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we're reading uh, every single chapter of Ephesians, and today we finish in chapter six. And so I invite you to find a Bible uh, in your pew backs if you you don't have one with you or if you don't use your phone, because we'll be going back and forth through Ephesians six throughout the sermon. But would you join me now before I get started in prayer? Lord, let the words of my mouth And the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you you really are our rock. And you really are our redeemer. Amen. Have any of you noticed how divided our world seems to be these days? It's as if everywhere we turn there's a line drawn in the sand and somebody's asking you if you're on this side of the line or that side of the line. There's a lot that divides us these days. Are you liberal or conservative? Are you a progressive or a traditionalist? Are you a moderate or an extremist? Are you waiting for Trump to be impeached or are you waiting for him to be vindicated? Are you an Astros fan or a Yankees fan? There are so many things that seek to divide us in our world right now and today I I want us to be bold and I want us to look at one specific very important issue and the issue is dirty dishes each and every one of us falls on one side of this issue or the other are you somebody that pre-washes your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher or are you someone who doesn't think twice about putting something visibly dirty in the dishwasher are you a pre-washer or are you a dirty loader Now to be fair, there are levels of pre-washing. I'm, I'm more of a rinser, but my mom is a dyed-in-the-wool pre-washer. She pre-washes so thoroughly that I don't think there is any reason at all to run the dishwasher. I mean, everything is inspected to make sure that there's no crumb or crust or stain that exists before the dishwasher runs. Maybe some of you are, are like that. My my mom's pre-washing position has truly caused division in our family, <laughs> especially after huge holiday meals that use every dish in the kitchen. Now, now I'm not that extreme of a pre-washer that my mom is, but, but I do confess to being a pre-washer, and I happen to be married to someone who isn't. My husband, Blaine, flat out does not believe in pre-washing at all and I've got to tell you that this has led to some power struggles in the Wilson family kitchen. I don't know how it is with your family, but my family doesn't have a uniform position on how to deal with dirty dishes and, and that has caused some problems. You know, the entire book of Ephesians really speaks to this issue not the issue of dirty dish care, but the issue of how we live together when we don't agree with each other. And today we finish our sermon series on Ephesians and we're gonna look at chapter six And, and the truth is chapter six is all about power and how we deal with power as the people of Christ. And so before we dive into it, let's do a down and dirty review of where we've been in Ephesians. Chapters one through three are all about the gospel story And chapters 4 through 6 are all about how differently we are called to live our lives once we make the gospel story our story. The point here is that you and I are called to live a different way once we make Christ the head of our lives. In fact, Paul tells us that we're really building a new humanity under the leadership of Christ and it's a humanity where the image of God is being restored. Now that is profoundly hopeful to me and I hope it's hopeful to you too. It's profoundly hopeful but it's also profoundly challenging because we have to behave differently than the world around us. That's why we got those special instructions at the end of chapter 5 about husbands and wives, and today as we pick back up in chapter 6, we're going to get more special instructions about how to deal with power dynamics and more of our human relationships, so let's get started. Would you listen now for the Word of God? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with singleness of heart, as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please Him, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters do the same to them. Stop threatening them. For you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. Now, To get the full impact of those verses that I just read, we've got to remember how these relationships would have been characterized in the New Testament era. Remember that women and children were not seen primarily as human beings, but, but more like property, and that went for slaves as well. So if you read those words with the mind of that context, what you will find is that those words are extremely counter-cultural. In chapter 5, we have this instruction to the new humanity made in the image of Christ that wives are not to be treated as property, but as something to be respected, and husbands are not to be treated as masters, but as partners to be respected. And now We look at this relationship of parents and children, and and it tells us that children are to honor their parents, which really isn't anything new. We get that instruction all the way back at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But, But now what we do get is something new in the instruction to parents. Parenting under the head of Christ is not defined by a power struggle that defeats the child It's defined by exerting parental power in a way that leads the child to God. I love the way that the message translation does that verse. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Instead, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. That sounds pretty, doesn't it? You know, I'm a parent of a very willful three-year-old, and that's a lot easier said than done. I know a whole lot about exerting my power over my son River, and I know a lot about letting River overpower me, but I know very precious little about the patience and confidence and faith that it takes to guide my son, rather than overpower him. Power dynamics in parenting are tough, and I'll just stop there and invite you as a church to be a church that prays for parents, because we need those prayers. The next instruction that we get in chapter 6 has to do with the power dynamics between slaves and masters. Slaves, it says, are to serve others with a Christ-like attitude, and although that isn't always easy, it's really not all that earth-shattering of an instruction. But the next instruction, the instruction to masters, like the instruction to husbands and parents, is revolutionary. Not only are slaves to treat those who have power over them with respect and reverence, but now masters are to treat their slaves with respect and reverence. And so at the end of this section, what we have is a whole new way of behaving as those who build up the body of Christ. We are to treat those that we have power over with respect and reverence, And we are supposed to treat those that have power over us with respect and reverence. So I want to stop here for an application moment. You might want to jot down some notes on that section on the back of your bulletin. I'd invite you, at least mentally, to make two columns. One column is for the people that you have power over. And one column is for the people that have power over you. That could be bosses or teachers. The people that you have power over are students, are children, are a list of many other kinds of roles. What I want you to understand is that Ephesians is asking us to take an inventory of those relationships and make sure that we're treating the people in both of those columns With respect and reverence. In a world where we do everything we can to gain power, to have power, to cling to power, Ephesians is redefining our relationship with power through the model of Christ Jesus who redefined power itself by pouring himself out for the sake of love. That's radically countercultural for you and for me. We like power. And we don't easily share it or give it away. In fact, it's part of just being human to seek power out. Human beings like power. And we do all kinds of things to gain power. But we get into all kinds of trouble in how we handle power. Have any of you ever been involved in a power struggle? Power struggles are real. If you don't believe me, spend some time talking to parents of three-year-olds in the midst of potty training, not that I know anything about that. Psychologists will tell you that power dynamics are part of every human relationship, and power struggles begin to develop in any relationship when one party begins to feel powerless." The truth is none of us like to feel powerless. And most of us will construct our lives so that we never have to feel powerless for very long at all. You and I will seek power and control in all kinds of contorted ways because feeling powerless is really, really, really uncomfortable. So my dear friends, I, I have to ask you today, Are any of you feeling powerless? If so, let's move on to verse 10. Finally, Paul says, "...be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness." against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, stand firm. Darkness and evil are real, friends. If you walk around with your heart and your eyes open to the suffering and pain that exist in this world, you will be convicted that darkness and evil are real. But the evil and the darkness that Paul is talking about here aren't so much connected to the little red pitchfork, tarned caricature of the devil that you might be imagining right now. No, no Paul's real, real specific here about what this evil is that he's talking about and this evil is way more subtle and way more slick, what this evil is, is anything, anything, anything that undermines the unity of the body of Christ. It's that simple. So keep that definition in your mind here. Evil is anything that seeks to undermine unity in the body of Christ. So we're going to stop here, because I want that word to speak loud and clear to us. We are the body of Christ, and there are forces that will try to pull us apart, and those forces are forces of evil and darkness. The force of evil is at work whenever words of division start to creep into our minds whenever we're trying to size up what side of the line somebody else is on. The force of darkness is at work whenever we as the body of Christ draw a line in the sand and say, are you with me or against me? And friends, it can come out so subtly. And this day and time, that, that force is really all around us. It's in our families, it's in our workplaces, it's in our friendships, it's in our marriages, it's alive and well in our nation, it's in our politics, and it's even alive and well in our beloved United Methodist Church. That force of evil is alive in you and in me. Whenever we think we can't possibly, truly join hands with anyone on the other side of whatever line in the sand has been drawn. I'm a pre-washer, and I will overpower you until you yield to my dishwashing tyranny. Now that's a joke, of course, but, but the truth is it's hard, hard, hard. To love people on the opposite side of the lines that we draw in the sand, isn't it? What's easy for us is to engage in power struggles with people on the other side of the line. We see it all the time. People trying to overpower people on the other side of the line until they look like, think like, live like, love like we think they're supposed to. And I've got to be bold in this pulpit today and tell you, church, that some of the ugliest power struggles I have ever seen are power struggles within the church. Power struggles come easy to us, all of us, even those of us in the church, because, well, because we all have a broken relationship with power. And that's where the rest of Ephesians is so vitally important for you and I to grasp today. Human nature is infected with a broken relationship to power, and the antidote to the power struggles that infect us is what Paul calls standing firm. Instead of fighting with those on the other side of the line, instead of wielding your power with an iron fist and insisting that everybody agree with you, instead of cowering in fear, of the powers that be, and wondering, well, what will happen if you don't agree with them? Paul quite clearly says, stand firm. In other words, stand with the power of God. So let's go back and pick up in verse 14. Stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going to stop reading the chapter at this point. The rest of that chapter really is just closing statements and uh, salutations from Paul. I want to stop reading there because I want us to really be able to digest what Paul is saying in that chunk. The whole book of Ephesians has led us to this point, and it's the point of understanding our broken relationship with power and all the distorted ways that we deal with the realities of our own powerlessness. And the antidote to all that brokenness is quite simply to stand with the power of Christ, not in aggression, but in firmness. It's simple, but it sure isn't easy. So i got to go back and ask you today, where in your lives do you feel powerless, friends? And what are you going to do about it? Maybe you feel powerless about your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe you feel powerless in a season of grief. Maybe you have a feeling of powerlessness in raising your kids or caring for your aging parents. Maybe you feel powerless in your work or your lack thereof. Maybe you feel powerless in the face of some addiction, either yours or that of someone you love. Maybe, maybe you feel powerless over some issue in your marriage. Maybe you feel powerless because you want to be married and you aren't, or because you want to have kids and you can't or because you want to be free and you feel anything but? Where do you feel powerless in your lives? And are you standing alone in that powerless place? In my intern year in seminary I was confronted with powerlessness and it just about undid me. It took me a long time and a lot of pain before I found the antidote that Ephesians tells us. You see, I was doing a very creative and a very risky internship for a mission church that targeted artists and people who had been burned or bored by the church. It was unconventional in every single way and I absolutely loved it. And I loved the pastor that I was going to be working under in that internship. I thought she was everything I wanted to be. Insightful, creative, powerful, talented. I, I felt privileged To have the opportunity to work with her when my internship began, but about six weeks into that internship I realized that I had made a mistake. I didn't quite understand it at the time, but I knew that my mentor Pastor and I were in an all-out very ugly power struggle. I wasn't able to do anything that pleased her, her critiques of me were brutal and demoralizing. I left every one of our teaching sessions in tears. By three months into that internship, I was knee-deep in my first bout of clinical depression. And after seeking the help I needed with a counselor and the medical care that could help me, I still couldn't see my way forward, and so I, I decided i better go and talk to the professor who was in charge of my internship. I. I summoned up my courage and I went to see Dr. Virgil Howard. I sat in the cluttered corner office of his at Perkins School of Theology that afternoon and I was overcome with embarrassment. I was ashamed of how powerless I felt and I sure didn't want to have to tell him everything that I needed to tell him. Have you ever felt like that? I'll never forget that afternoon or that conversation. Virgil listened as I sobbed and then he, he patiently and thoughtfully probed me with lots of questions that didn't have any easy answers. He assessed the situation from every angle and then with honesty and directness he said, Holly, I want to give you another assignment. Do you think that for the rest of your internship, you could experiment with being her pastor? Can you love her, even when she's hard to love? Can you have compassion for her, even when she's threatened by you? Can you work against your timidity and find a way to love her in spite of the disharmony? Can you reach over that line and love her anyway? that took my breath away. He said, I'll I'll, I'll help you. I'll guide you however I can, But but I think this is important, Holly. I think there's something in this that can help you become a better pastor. And so, just like that Saint Virgil Howard took me by the hand and he guided me in the ways of God, ways that demanded honesty about my own powerlessness so that I could find true power with God's Spirit and stand firm for the sake of love. You know, with Virgil's help, I did just that. I learned how to love her, to have compassion for her, and that year I won the award for the most creative and courageous learning in an internship. friend of mine got a new dishwasher recently, and I was shocked when she told me that her new dishwasher instructs you specifically to not pre-wash the dishes. In fact, the dishwasher works best if the dishes are, are really dirty. The dishwasher works best if you don't pre-wash the dishes because the dishwasher has sensors that detect that there isn't much dirt on those dishes, and it will run a shorter cycle. And then you compound that with the fact that the dishwashing detergent works best if there's debris on the dishes that it can cling to. And so what happens is if you pre-wash the dishes, the dishes don't really ever get clean. I think that dishwasher is pretty darned theological. And I think that dishwasher is exactly what Ephesians 6 is trying to teach us. You see, God's power works best on us when we can admit that we're powerless. But like the best pre-washers, you and I spend a lot of time and energy hiding our powerlessness. No matter how deceivingly powerful we may look on the outside, none of us can do our lives on our own power. We are all in need of the power that we have with God. And so like my friend's dishwasher, God works best when we show up dusty and dirty, stained and covered with the schmutz of life. And so as we finish this book of Ephesians... There's an invitation waiting for us, and it's an invitation to climb into that divine dishwasher without any pre-washing. Just climb in. Whatever pains of this world are clinging to you, just climb in with your fears, with your unknowns. Just climb in. With all the pains of your past and the worries about your future, don't clean yourself up. Just just climb in. Because no matter how squeaky clean we may look this morning, we all have stains and flaws and caked up gunk all over us. And God's power works best when we can honestly present ourselves and let God get to work with us. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty glad that God is on the side of not being a pre-washer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.